You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Welcome all to the Book of Nature podcast, exploring the nature of science and the science of nature from the perspective of three Christians working in the sciences. My name is Todd Pedler, and I'm professor of physics at Luther College in Decorah, Iowa, and I'll be your host for this particular edition of the Book of Nature. Uh, Joining me today from way up north in Canada is Charles Hackney. He is associate professor of psychology at Briarcrest College and Seminary. Charles, how's it going? Oh, it's going pretty well. Uh, as we record this, I'm coming toward the end of my sabbatical. Uh, oh, it, no. Yes. Condolences. <laughs> well, Where'd you... I didn't get as much accomplished Sorry, as I ahead. had hoped to, but I did get some good writing done, made uh, some good progress on this book that I'm uh, trying to get finished. Uh, so it has, it, it's been, it has been a good semester. And, and, and ready to get back into the uh, back into the classroom without scaring your students? Well, I can't guarantee the no scaring my students parts. I might explicitly end up scaring my students since uh, I tend to get a little bit twitchy if I go too long without uh, uh, trying to teach somebody about psychology. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, also laughing along on the gag is, uh, is Dan Dawson, who's an assistant professor of... Uh, uh, Boy, goodness gracious, the atmospheric sciences at Purdue know. University. How are you doing? Not too bad. It's coming down to the end of the semester for me. Um, I was not teaching. Um, like Charles, I didn't get nearly as much done as I wanted to, um, considering I wasn't teaching. But, you know, I think the following quote, oh, I got two more papers more than I expected. I've got so much more than I expected to get done is a, a phrase no academic said ever. I I would tend to agree. I don't think that's ever happened in the history of the academy. But but I I have made some good progress trying to finish up a paper uh, here in the next week or two before the break. So we'll we'll, we'll see. Um, It's it's pretty close. Um, uh, Just uh, kind of want to get it done before the end of the – submit it at least before the end of the year. Otherwise, you know, doing okay. Just – yeah. Just uh, had some international travel recently, so I'm just trying to get caught up from that. And Right, right. Yeah. Well, we waited on you so that you might be less jet-lagged than otherwise. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm mostly so. over it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's I, good. Yeah. yeah. Can't can't find good kimchi in uh, in the U.S., though. Uh, not that I've seen, no. Yeah. But, but – <laughs> I'm not a big kimchi person, but when in Korea, you know. Oh, yeah, that's right. Eat I mean, fermented. yeah, and, I, and some of it's pretty good. Yeah, some of it's pretty yeah, good. I, I got to say, I do like it myself. Mm-hmm. But All right, well, uh, today uh, we are 
talking about comets. So for thousands of years, uh, comets have been seen as messengers of doom, portents of evil, uh, sometimes signs of good. In the last quarter millennium, though, we've come to understand them uh, much better as exotic members of the solar system family, and their observation provides enduring fascination for both amateur and professional astronomers alike. Um, I will say at the outset of this episode that, uh, uh, at least until recently, Halley's Comet has probably been more regular than we are, um, and uh, having a shorter time between appearances than we do. Uh, perhaps. Uh, but let's get right down to it. Um, I want to start with Charles. Uh, Charles, uh, I'd, I'd like you to do for us a deep dive, if you would, into the history of comets. Uh, what are the earliest records of comets and, and generally how are they regarded by those who saw them? Uh, what understanding do we have of their reception as heavenly signs? Well, yeah, I, ha I had fun getting into this. There's all kinds of cool stuff going on here. Uh, the earliest records that we have come from ancient China. Um, the uh, earliest, very earliest one we have is uh, a record from a court astrologer uh, in 1059 BC describing uh, what they called broom stars. Uh, so broom, is it the, it's kind of like uh, the, the whisks of a broom going out there. Um, and uh, ancient Chinese records give us kind of a combination of scientific and astrological ideas mixed into one about comets and their significance. So, uh, for one thing, uh, from these records, dating all these all this way back, uh, we get the observation that comet tails point away from the sun. But we also get the idea that they are omens of change, uh, usually bad. <coughs> so, uh, in 1973. Uh, a comet catalog, painted on silk, uh, was found in a tomb in China with descriptions and drawings of 29 different types of comets and their meanings. Uh, so, for example, a comet that looks like it has four tails is a sign of widespread disease. Uh, two tails, if they curve to the right, uh, there will be a minor war but plentiful corn that year. Uh, so, you know, plant your crops accordingly. Uh, now, the connection between comets and uh, omens is uh, likely due to the fact that most other heavenly bodies uh, behave according to regular predictable patterns. Uh, and these patterns were said to reflect uh, the serene lawfulness of cosmic order. Comets, are the other, on the other hand, uh, do not reflect serene cosmic order. Uh, instead, they represent chaos. Uh, they un appear unexpectedly. They persist for an unpredictable amount of time. Uh, they don't, you know, tra travel in the same directions uh, or the arcs as uh, we see in the stars. And then they vanish. So comets represent disruptions of cosmic order. Uh, in the Iliad, Homer describes the crest of Achilles' helmet as being like, uh, so, quote, like the red star that from his flaming hair shakes down diseases, pestilence, and war. Unquote. Uh, another Western example, the Bayeux Tapestry, uh, which commemorates the Battle of Hastings in 1066, uh, includes a scene in which people are marveling at a comet 
which based on the date we now know to be Halley's Comet. Um, and that comet signals the impending death of King Harold and the Norman conquest of England. In the 15th century, uh, the Nuremberg Chronicles, uh, written by Hartman Schettel, is a combined biblical and world history text. Uh, and it includes other appearances of Halley's Comet uh, in, uh, for example, uh, the year 684. According to Shuttle, uh, the appearance of the comet um, was followed by three months of storms, grain withering in the fields, a solar eclipse, a lunar eclipse, and a plague. Now, while I was preparing this material, I came across a sermon uh, preached in the 17th century by Increase Mather. Uh, Increase Mather is a powerful uh, Puritan clergyman in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Uh, he was president of Harvard for 20 years and father of the famous Cotton Mather. Uh, so this sermon uh, is entitled, Heaven's Alarm to the World, or a sermon wherein is showed that fearful signs and sights and signs in heaven are the presages of great calamities at hand. Gotta love those 17th century titles. Uh, so this sermon was published in 1681 and is based on a claim that 1680 saw a remarkable proliferation in comet sightings um, and a desire to make sense of the operations. Now, we're not sure about the, uh, you know, in terms of the um, historical accuracy of this, the numbers of comet sightings. We do know that 1680 uh, was the year of the Great Comet, also called Kirsch's Comet or Newton's Comet. Uh, which had the distinction of being the first comet discovered by means of a telescope. <coughs> but anyway, um, trying to make sense of this, uh, Mather cautions against the pagan worship of stars, but says, I'm quoting here, uh, the stars of heaven are for natural signs. Their motions and appearances are significations that such and such things will, according to that course of nature, which God hath settled, come to pass in the world. There are also extraordinary stars, sometimes appearing in the heavens. God in his providence doth so order uh, as that sometimes blazing stars are seen in heaven. Such car stars are called comets from the stream like long hair which useth to attend them. Such a star is prodigious and a fearful sight. Unquote. Hmm. Now, Mather refuses to speculate what the exact nature of the catastrophe might be that's coming. He figured that was presumptuous. Uh, but instead, he urges his listeners to general prayer and repentance in the hopes that whatever the catastrophe is that is coming, um, the Lord might uh, avert that coming judgment. I also learned a new word uh, from that hmm. sermon. <clears throat> I learned that there is a verb form of omen. Hmm. Yeah, the verb form of omen is ominate. <laughs> That's that's awesome. So that is this, yes. this comet ominates this or comets ominate doom. I'm going to I'm going to figure out a way to use that word in like a in a journal article or something. I don't know how. But oh yeah. Or, oh yeah. I, I, that's great. That's funny. Now uh, occasionally comets do some signify something good. Uh, usually something massively important like a, a great victory or the birth of a mighty king. <coughs> I mean, if we go back to the Bayou Tapestry. Um, whether the uh, the appearance of the comet 
uh, signaled uh, great tragedy uh, or a great victory. I guess depends on whether you're English or Norman. <laughs> right. Now, in the early 14th century, uh, the Italian painter uh, Giorgio di Bondone uh, completed a series of frescoes uh, for the Scrivegni Chapel, Chapel in Padua. And uh, one scene in these frescoes, uh, in that series, shows the adoration of the Magi. And Giotto uh, decided to portray the star that the Magi followed as a comet uh, with a very pronounced tail rather than a more the more traditional star. Uh, and uh, it's worth noting that in 1301, uh, just four years before Giotto uh, painted that fresco, uh, we had a reportedly spectacular display by our old buddy, Halley's Comet. Uh, although, it turns out, there's a long history of thinking that the Bethlehem star might be a comet, hmm. uh, going as far back as the church father Origen in the second century. A number of medieval scholars wrote about the possibility that it might have been a comet. Couldn't have been Halley's Comet, though. Uh, the dates of that comet's appearance don't sync up with the birth of Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, and, I mean, there's, there's even a current version of this, this idea that it uh, might be a comet if... Uh, uh, if you listen to the, uh, the the Christmas song, Do You Hear What I Hear? Um, well, I mean, the night wind says to the little lamb, do you see what I see? Uh, and uh, what the night wind sees is a star, a star, dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite. Mm -hmm. So, yes. I thought you were going to bring this one up. I was just hoping you would sing it. I mean, I can do that if you really want. <laughs> A star, a star, dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite. With a tail as big as a kite. Most excellent. Is that nice. better? <laughs> That's great. All right. We should have, we should have all joined in. Yeah. Though, but, uh, <laughs> anywho. Anywho. Now, <coughs> lest we scoff at the backwardness of days of yore, we have our own more recent examples of comets as fearful signs. Ah, yes. Yes, we do. On uh, 1973, we had a visit from the comet Kohutek, which I was astonished to learn is not Egyptian. Kohutek mm -hmm. is named after the Czech astronomer who discovered it in the 70s. Uh, Kohutek is a long-period comet that uh, had last swung by our neighborhood around 150,000 years ago. And we're not supposed to see it again for about another 75,000 years. Kahutek's appearance caused a bit of a mid-70s cultural phenomenon. Uh, in the comic strip Peanuts, Kahutek scares Snoopy and Woodstock into hiding under a blanket. Several musicians composed and performed Kahutek-themed pieces. Uh, literary references came from such sources as Madeline Lengel, uh, Larry Niven, Jerry Purnell. And uh, along with that, uh, David Berg founder of the Children of God cult, uh, sent his followers a message that Kahutek was a sign of a coming massive cataclysm. Uh, this is supposed to be a multi-form multi cataclysm. Uh, it's going, it would include a war between the United States and the Soviet Union, in which half of the Russian population would be slaughtered, and Russia will then be conquered by China. Uh, America will see a total economic collapse, geological upheaval, and catastrophic drought. 
Uh, Berg told his followers that it would be safer to be outside of the U.S. Uh, since the devastation would be less severe there. And many of his Americans follow, American followers hightailed it to communes outside of the country. Now, one thing I found interesting, so this prophecy, even though this prophecy did not come about, uh, that group still exists today. Uh, oh, though they wow. have uh, reorganized a couple of times following the death of uh, Berg. Uh, and hmm. they are now called the Family International. <laughs> oh. Yeah, uh, hmm. and it's, it's too bad. I, I'm, so I, I did a little bit of poking around. Hmm. And it's kind of too bad that I couldn't uh, uncover uh, anything from, uh, from the prophet uh, after this failed prophecy. Uh, since as a social psychologist, that's hmm. one of the things that I'm interested in. Um, cognitive dissonance theory and uh, failed hmm. doomsday prophecies. Well, you've got, you've got more time, so, right? Speaking of, <laughs> I, I, I do have more time, um, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about my internet yeah. experience in a minute here. And I, I don't know if I want to continue <laughs> this line of research. <coughs> uh, turning to a bit of a dark note. Uh, it's hard to talk about uh, current comet-related prophecies without mentioning hale In 1997, the comet Hale-Bopp, uh, named for two astronomers, Hale and Bopp, uh, who independently and simultaneously discovered it, uh, reached its closest distance from the sun and was visible to the naked eye for 18 months. Uh, UFO enthusiasts... Speaking of interesting things you find on the internet, uh, claimed that they saw an alien craft following the comet. Uh, and on March 19th uh, of that year, 39 members of the Heaven's Gate religious group committed mass suicide, uh, believing that their souls would be transported to the spacecraft. Uh, and if you poke around some of the more interesting corners of the internet, uh, you can see that we currently still have no shortage of comet prophets. Uh, some of them basing their claims on creative interpretations of scripture, some on astrology, uh, some on Nostradamus, uh, many involving a zesty combination of all of the above. Um, as you've been, you know, as you've looked stuff up, have you ever had this experience where you realize that you are starting to spiral down into a whirlpool <laughs> of crazy? And you Never. need to pull out right now. Never. Flat Earth. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, yeah. This was. I mean, uh, some, of, some of these guys the made made one. our flat Earth buddies look uh, <laughs> you know, calm and reasonable. Uh, right. I mean, you, yeah, you can find writings. Uh, you can find people uploading. Uh, you know, they got YouTube videos uh, where they talk about the prophetic significance of Shoemaker Levy Nine breaking up. Um, mm -hmm. And they'll sort of draw from okay. So you know, if we if we take this astrological sign and we uh, combine it with this sorry, you know, wonky interpretation of the Book of Revelation, and uh, you know you know some dude in Nevada had a uh, prophetic vision, and somebody over in England had a psychic dream, uh, and you know, th this means something. So yeah, after a. After a little bit of exposure to that, my brain is going, pull up, pull up. <laughs> You're going down. Yep. It's, uh, it, it, it's definitely a strange world out there. I, I will tell you. <laughs> and, uh, it, 
very easy to get sucked yeah, in. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I uh, yeah. And the did. internet has brought it oh even closer. Yeah, think about this stuff whenever I uh, hear people um, getting all uh, proud and uppity about how we live in this scientific enlightened oh. age. Uh, so much better than our um, superstitious ancestors. <laughs> Going, yeah, yeah, about that. But have you yeah, been right. on the internet? <laughs> it, yeah. While you're at it, if you give me your credit card number, I will sell you this uh -huh. magnet that can uh -huh. cure cancer. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. Dan, anything to add? Uh, I think Charles really covered a, um, a great... Uh, like yeah. sweeping uh, vista of oh, the yeah. history of comets. Um, I think when we get to the next dis discussion about personal interactions, we can yeah. Why don't you lead off? More yeah. What that. so what what you know what what have you sure. done? What have you observed? What have you uh, experienced? All right. So for my part, um, just thinking about this, I had to dig back through some of my memory, and I even searched some of my old pictures on my hard drive. Say, I know I tried to take some pictures of comets back in May, and I found a few that I had forgotten about because they weren't mm -hmm. particularly interesting. But um, So the first comet that, that I have any memory whatsoever of is, you probably can guess, mm. Um, mm. it was Halley's Comet, uh, the apparition in 1986, which... Um, actually was probably the worst apparition in, in uh, yeah. historical <laughs> record as far as, so by apparition in, um, that's what, 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 a, a comet's appearance, um, in the inner solar system is called an apparition. Um, so it kind of evokes kind of thoughts of sort of this, you know, supernatural ghostly kind of, you know, stuff that we've already kind of touched on. Um, so I kind of like the word, um, <clears throat> Uh, but uh, in 1986, um, so Halley's Comet, uh, probably the most famous comet. Um, in fact, the uh, the one to have the get the first designation as a periodic comet. That is one that returns to the inner solar system with uh, with within a time period of less than 200 years. Um, so Halley's Comet returns roughly every 76 years. Uh, the period of its orbit varies between about 74. Uh, in 79 years because of perturbations, uh, gravitational perturbations from the planets, specifically, principally mm -hmm. Jupiter. Um, and uh, also because when, as comets get close to the sun, of course, as, as we talked about, they, they start um, producing big jets of gas and, and dust, which can also impart slight um, perturbations to their orbits that make them very, somewhat unpredictable mm -hmm. in that regard. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> so, in, so Halley's Comet came back in 1986, but, um, it happened to become returning to the inner solar system when the earth was on the other side of the sun from where it was, um, returning in its orbit, uh, and ma making it, uh, not very well visible, relatively speaking, to some of its previous flybys, particularly the 1910 one, um, uh, because of its a of its uh, unfavorable location in its orbit, so I think it reached um, a magnitude of about uh, plus two, which um, is of you know, magnitude comparable to some of the brighter stars in the sky, but not particularly mm -hmm. spectacular. I vaguely remember um, going out with my dad to somewhere. I think we may have been living in overseas at the time in Saudi. 
I can't remember for sure. Um, I was six years old. Um, but I, we went out there to, I think, out in the desert to see it. And I just have very vague memories to the point where I'm, I'm not even sure if they're true <laughs> memories or not um, of, of seeing it. But I know I did see it when I was six. Yeah. I just, my memory mm-hmm. is very fuzzy, yeah. um, <laughs> like the comet. Um, but uh, since then, um, and boy, we can talk a lot about sure. Halley's Comet, but uh, um, uh, maybe we can just move on mm-hmm. from that. But uh, um, the next, my next personal, um, so, okay, I got to say one more <laughs> thing about Halley's Comet. Um, uh, I am definitely hoping that one of the reasons I hope I can uh, stay alive to old age is that I can see it return in 2061, which uh, I will be 81 years old, and hopefully I st- will still be around and still have my eyesight. Um, and if I do, I definitely am looking forward to seeing it um, uh, because it's going to be a much better um, apparition mm-hmm. in 2061, similar to the tw- 1910 one, but not quite as good. And in 1910, uh, it passed so close to Earth that the Earth actually went through mm-hmm. the tail of the comet, you know, inciting all kinds of uh, of uh, hysterical reactions among the populace. Well, can you imagine now um, if it but, was said that that was going to happen? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't even want to, to know. But, I mean, at any time we can get some other great comet come through that we haven't seen before oh, yeah. to do that. So, yeah. you know, it's – but, mm-hmm. but uh, anyway, um, moving on. Um, my next – that I can remember my next personal interaction with the comet was was – uh, Hayakutake, oh, yeah. Comet Hayakutake in 1996. Now, what's interesting about this comet was it was actually discovered after ha- uh, Comet Hale-Bopp, but um, it, it, came, it made its closest approach to Earth and the Sun before Hale-Bopp did, which is a testament to um, the, the extreme nature of Hale-Bopp as far as its size and brightness, um, which I'll talk about in a minute. But with Hayakutake, what, um, what made it, it wasn't a, not a particularly large comet. So comets, and I'm getting, I'm getting into um, Charles's territory here, so I apologize. But comets, um, uh, they're, they, they're, the size of their nucleus, the actual um, body that is emitting the, the uh, jets of gas and dust, varies from you know less than a kilometer in diameter to about uh at least the ones we've seen about 60 or 70 kilometers and 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 hale bop was about was on the largest uh high end of that uh in contrast uh halley's comet is on the order of 10 so kilometers in diameter um so hale bop was really big uh, as comets go and it was um, discovered when it was still really far from the sun about seven astronomical units which our listeners don't know our uh is one astronomical unit is the distance the mean distance from the earth to the sun or about 93 million miles um and so this comet was not only was it discovered really far from the sun it was discovered by two amateur astronomers not from any of the automated sky surveys um which were just starting to come into play about then i think anyway um but it also had a visible um coma, which is that sort of glowing shield of gas around the, the nucleus. Um, that, so it was, we already knew that it was going to be a big deal because it was already very active even that far away from the sun. 
Uh, but anyway, so that was, everybody was anticipating Hale-Bopp, but then suddenly this other comet comes into the scene, discovered by um, a Japanese astronomer, Hayakutake. Um, and it was, when they calculated its orbit, they quickly realized, oh, this one's going to come pretty close to the Earth, too. And by close, we mean about, what, 9 yeah, million yeah. miles or mm -hmm. something like that, um, which doesn't sound close, but in, in solar system mm -hmm. scale, it's pretty close. Um, and moreover, it was going to pass pretty much right over the Earth's north pole um, so that in the sky it would look like it was coming right by uh, the North Star. Um, and because it was so close, it was going to appear very large in the sky. In fact, as it, at its closest approach, um, the tail was extending about 80 degrees of arc in the sky. So that would be like about a quarter of a way across the sky, you know. So um, pretty, pretty large. It wasn't as bright as Hale-Bopp mm -hmm. ended up being, but still plenty bright enough to see in, even in slightly light-polluted skies, which I was in, in, in growing up in Indiana. And I was able to see it both with my eyes and I also look, took my mm -hmm. telescope to look at it. Um, when it was at its closest, as it, um, because it, was, it came so close to uh, the Earth, it was also accelerating in towards perihelion with the sun, that is the closest approach to the sun, um, that you could actually watch it moving across the, the, the stars mm. if you watch closely. Uh, at, at its closest approach, it was uh, basically moving across the sky at about the diameter of the full moon mm -hmm. every half hour. So if you look very closely, you could actually see it happen over a period of a couple minutes or so. So that was pretty interesting. Um, so that was that was my first big encounter with the comet. I was really oh, yeah. pumped about that. Um, I was 16, um, and then um, of course a year later, the the, the main apparition of Hale Bob came, and I just remember that comet just being sort of the backdrop to my entire spring hmm. of '97. I could just go outside. Yep. Oh, there's Hale Bob. You know, it was just there. You know, and it was just like. You, it, to the point where you thought, oh, you know, it's just sort of a new thing right. that we're going to have in the sky. And, it, you know, because it, it lasted for so long. Because, like I, like I said already, it was yeah. very large. Um, and it broke a lot of records for comets, at least in recorded history. It was like, the, as I think Charles mentioned, it was visible to the naked eye for, for 18 months, which broke the mm -hmm. pri previous record. Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember what the previous record was. Um, hmm. But... Uh, it also was um, below magnitude zero, um, which um, is about the, the, the brightness of uh, the mm -hmm. star Vega. Um, it was below magnitude zero for uh, something mm -hmm. like eight weeks, which also was a record. Um, what else? What other records did it break? Well, um, the one thing I remember most about it is the, is the brightness of the second tail, right? I mean, just phenomenal. Oh, yeah, yeah. It had two, so it had two tails, and um, again, I think Charles will probably talk about this, but a lot of comets have at, at least two tails, uh, one made of the, the ionized gas and the other of the dust, and of course, they were separated from each other, and it was really clearly right. visible um, in the sky, mm -hmm. the two separate tails. Um, just, a, just an amazing comet, um, uh, and kind of sad to see it go. Although, um, last I heard, um, they were able to keep spotting it by telescope up until you know mm -hmm. not too long ago actually um uh and speaking of which halley's comet is actually now um with our current telescope technology we can now view it in its entire orbit so we can actually see it um 
all the way out at, at aphelion as far as it, which it gets about a little bit further than the distance from Neptune to the sun, but we can, we have, our telescopes are powerful enough to still mm. see it when it's way out there, which is mm -hmm. pretty remarkable. Um, so there, um, since then though, it's been sort of a drought for comets <laughs> in the Northern <laughs> Hemisphere, I mean, great yep. comets. So it's been kind of a meh, you know? Um, I do remember Comet Swan um, back in, uh, what year was that? Um, uh, I don't even know, I can't remember. Um, yeah, I believe that it was 24, no, 2006, 2006. Soon after I got here. Yeah. So at Luther, so yeah. that's about right. And I tried to take some pictures of that. Um, I was a grad student mm -hmm. at OU at the time and they didn't come out very well. It was a barely naked eye comet. Um, then, um, uh, I remember comet Ison, I think it was at 2013 or 2014. So this was a thought that it, uh, that it might be, it could potentially be a big comet when it was first discovered. But, but again, people have been burned by Cahotec. <laughs> so, um, figuratively, uh, we're like, well, it could be, couldn't be, it, it was probably the, um, it, it was probably on its first approach to the, to the sun based on its orbit probably came from the mm -hmm. Oort cloud, um, uh, which we can talk about. And, uh, it, so when, particularly comets that are fresh, so to speak, are pretty unpredictable because they often have this layer of ice that can that that for, get, can get blown off and it make and increase mm -hmm. it in brightness more than it actually will as it gets to the inner solar system. So you gotta be careful. Well, it turned out that that comet did start did become bright, but not until it got very close. It was going to make a very close pass with the sun. So there was some question about whether it would mm -hmm. survive or not. Um, as it uh, approached, and in fact, it did not survive. But I remember watching that on the um, on the uh, uh, internet using like the was it the Soho yep. camera um, mm -hmm. spacecraft, solar I forget what a heliospheric observatory yeah. or something like that. Um, but you, you didn't see it; you couldn't see it with an unaided eye. Um, hmm. So that was another one. And finally, there was two other big comets in the early. Um, 21st century in the last decade or so, McNaught and Lovejoy, but both of those unfortunately were really only uh, visible at their best mm -hmm. in the southern hemisphere. So I just remember oh, drooling McNaught. over these I mean, photographs. McNaught's the one with the big curly yeah, tail. Yeah, McNaught in particular. Man. Yeah, and and just you know crying yeah. <laughs> a little bit because I couldn't see it because it was you know only. But um, I do remember trying to see it. It was either McNaught or Lovejoy in the daylight when it was mm -hmm. close to the sun uh, by trying to block the sun behind a building. And I don't, I, I, yeah. I, I couldn't see it. Even, um, but that's, I sh I've been talking long <laughs> enough for that. That's, that's my sure. experience so far. I'm uh, actually, there is a current yeah. comet right now. Uh, was it Vertanen yeah. or Vertanen? No, I think that's I right. Know what. Um, yeah, that, that um, I tried to see last night. It couldn't, I didn't expect to be able to, it's still yeah. pretty dim. Um, but I, th I might try to go out sometime this week, maybe go out to the countryside just to take a look at it, maybe take my son um, just to I see if we peak, can see it. I think the peak but, is supposed okay. to be like the 16th, right? Right. That, and that's one – the reason why we can even see this one too, it's, it's again, a yeah. pretty small comet, but it's also going to come right. pretty close to Earth. I think magnitude so, 3 is uh, what they're saying. Um, so it's going to be a little – Yeah, and, but it's also going to – no, you're right, about magnitude 3. Um, but it's – going to be you know a big diffuse right. fuzzball so you still need 
pretty dark yep. sky. So we'll see. But anyway, what about you? Well, Charles, Todd hey, Charles, Charles, what have you got oh, to say? Are, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I have meteor stories and I have uh, Aurora Borealis stories, but yeah. I have no comet stories. I, I'm Not even Hale Bop? There. Well, I mean, aside from uh, the, you know, weirdos offing themselves. <laughs> oh. So you don't, you didn't actually saw that on the news, but I didn't actually go out and uh, take a look or take pictures or anything like that. Yeah, so you know, Hale Bop was was you know because of its the length of its duration, you know, its its stay in the sky. It's something that I recall, uh, just as you uh, said, that I think the one that made the the biggest impression on me. was uh, was Shoemaker Levy nine when it when it uh, collided with oh, Jupiter? Totally you know? forgot. And yeah, totally obviously forgot this was not that. something that I was observing myself. Um, but it, yeah. but in terms of just the 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 the, the <laughs> I was going to say impact. Yes, the impact of that uh, the, the 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 apparition of that comet as it as it breaks up in ninety two and then in ninety four slams into Jupiter and leaves these pockmarks that were there for months. Um, oh, astonishing. Yeah, that was, that was um, you know, I, I, cause I, at the time I was in grad school and so I had all kinds of time to look at these things <laughs> or at least took lots of time to look at these things. And I can remember, you know, uh, just pouring over all of the images from mm-hmm. you know various observatories that uh, that were that were zeroing in on this uh, what really to me is still an amazing event. Yeah, I just remember. I remember one thing. I mean, I, I remember doing almost the same thing as you. Of course, I was still in high school, but just pouring over the images. I remember waiting for the newscast for when they expected the first mm-hmm. images to come from yeah, the yeah. Hubble mm-hmm. of it. And I remember making some kind of bet with my dad. My dad was saying he didn't think that he would be able to see any F, uh, uh-huh. evidence of it. And I said, ah, I think there's going to be a big sp- splash yeah. or something, you know. Of course, nobody knew what color was going to be. There. I think the people thought there was going to be this big right. white bruise or whatever on it, but it turned out to be yeah. this black one. And then when the first image showed up, I was like, wow, <laughs> look at that. <laughs> you know. And Dad's yeah, like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking yeah. speaking of so, of holes cool. in the internet, I got into into it with some guy who's you know claiming that the the impact of Shoemaker Levy nine onto on, on Jupiter proved that Jupiter had a solid surface. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That one, that guy was not convinced by anything that I happened to raise. But um, ah, yeah, a good waste of time for a while. <coughs> well, what, what was he saying that the comet should have come out? Well, the other side? I, I, yeah, that was one argument uh, that it, it obviously couldn't be gaseous because it would just float right, you know, go right through. But the other thing was that it's these. So what well, about meteors? <laughs> indeed. On Earth, it, so it, just, indeed, I mean, indeed. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. But that uh, you, there was nothing that one could say, <laughs> and that is often the case. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah so, um, you know, it, it is uh, it, it is good to to look from the big picture here that that I you know in 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 such a discussion. So I think I'll I'll ask you, Dan, to talk a little bit about where comets come from. And uh, we've talked a little bit about what they do, 
but I think it would be good to review sort of mm-hmm. the, the process of going from way out there to the inner solar system. So give us that little uh, uh, story, if you would. All right, I'll, I'll try to be brief, um, mm-hmm. but uh, as I can. But um, so comets are essentially, um, and they've been they've been. This is uh, something that was coined a long time ago. Um, d- uh, dirty snowballs. They're essentially, um, uh, like you said, on the order of a kilometer or so in diameter, up to about sixty or so. They're essentially balls of. Um, icy materials and um, mixed with uh, rocky materials um, that are thought to form, most of them at least, thought to form way out um, in the outer solar system, way beyond um, where the the planets orbit, out in something called the the Oort cloud, which um, uh, using the astronomical unit uh, uh, measurement system here uh, may extend as far out as about 20,000 or so um, AU um, away from the sun. So that far out from the sun, if you were just to visualize being out there um, in you know your spacesuit or spaceship, <laughs> it's a long time the, the to get sun, home. <laughs> it's a long time to get there. But just say we're sure. we're able to go out there, um, the the sun um, would look like another star in the sky. Of course, it would be the brightest one by far still, um, but it would you wouldn't be able to see just both your unaided eye that it had a disc like uh, we can see it in the sky here. Um, and you would think, okay, there, we're sort of out in interstellar space. Well, we're still kind of in that, in the influence of the gravitational influence of the sun. So the sun is so massive. It's like, it contains about 99% of the mass of the sun. Most of the rest of it is taken up by Jupiter. Um, but uh, it's, it basically dominates gravitationally an area out to about one or two light years from the sun. Um, but when you're way out there in this ore cloud, um, there's something, uh, an estimate of something like a trillion um, cometary-like bodies out there that are just sort of floating around very, very long duration orbits and measured in millions of years. Um, in sort of roughly circular orbits around the sun. Um, but because that's so far out there, you start getting into um, where other um, star systems and other um, bodies start having some influence on the orbit. So passing stars um, uh, within you know, a couple of light years or so, or even closer, um, may will impart gravitational kicks to some uh, from time to time to some of these uh, or distant orbiting bodies and that will send them in some cases on a trajectory that sends them towards the inner solar system so they go from a more circular orbit to a very elliptical orbit um, so uh, that would be where they would come very close to the sun and then go really far away as they come in towards the inner solar system then Sometimes they will encounter some of the outer planets like Jupiter that will also perturb the orbits a little bit. And some of the comets then get caught into shorter period orbits like Halley's Comet, for example, which may have originated in the Oort cloud. But at least since uh, um, we've been recording its passages has been on this short period, Mm -hmm. 76 year orbit for quite a while, probably for thousands of years. 
eventually it will um, either um, make a really close encounter with Jupiter and then get ejected from the, the solar system, or it'll, uh, it will exhaust all of its ice and snow material and become just a, an extinct comet. But um, that's a basic evolution of a comet. Probably most of them come from this ore cloud way out there. They get kicked into the inner solar system by some passing um, star um, gravitational influence or possibly from galactic tides. Then they get kind of thrown around this sort of pinball machine of the inner solar system and may settle into a shorter mm -hmm. period orbit. Some other comets may come from closer in. Um, there's a population of comet-like objects called centaurs that orbit roughly between Uranus mm -hmm. and Saturn. Um, not sure where those come from. This is beyond <laughs> my area of expertise. But there's a lot of uh, questions about where, where, whether all the com most of the how many of the comets come from the Oort cloud versus other uh, populations mm -hmm. further mm -hmm. in. But anyway, um, that's the basic gist of it. Some comets end up on what are called the Jupiter family comets, end up on orbits where their aphelion takes them out to about mm -hmm. the orbit of Jupiter, and perihelion is closer in. Um, s there's another uh, group called the sun grazers, which are particularly interesting. Um, these are comets that, as you might ex uh, suspect from the name, get very, very close to the sun. Um, in fact, so close in some cases that they completely evaporate uh, because of the, the intense heat. Um, but there's a group of sun grazers called the, the Kreutz sun grazers after, their, um, after the, the astronomer who postulated that they were um, all part of a group that probably came from a very, very large comet back in antiquity made a very close pass of the sun and broke up into a bunch of smaller comets um, because of tidal forces. So um, a ti a tidal forces happen when um, you have uh, a body like that's large enough such that when you get close enough to um, a massive object like the sun that's exerting a strong gravitational field that you actually get um, a stronger gravitational um, pull on one side of the object than the other enough to where it can actually pull the object apart. Um, and this happens when, when these comets get very close to the sun. So the sun grazers are probably fragments of a much larger comet that are following roughly the same orbit. And they come, there's, they're, they're, we see them all the time on the, the SOHO instrument that's actually watching the sun. Um, some of them are so small that they just immediately evaporate, but others can be really, really bright, like McNaught and, um, uh, what was it, the other one? Uh, oh, Ison? Lovejoy. Lovejoy. Mm -hmm. And Ison was, Ison is not a Kreutz oh. sun grazer, it's another mm -hmm. sun grazer. Um, they think it may actually be related to a comet that was seen, uh, where, what was I looking at? Um, uh, may have been a comet that was seen way back in, um, I, don't, I don't remember the, uh, the uh, mm -hmm. details of it, but some of these comets that have been seen um, that are, were thought to be new are actually later on when their orbits were calculated better, actually um, re recognized to actually be the same comet as one that had been seen mm -hmm. in antiquity, or at least related to it in the sense that it could have been fragments of a larger comet that, that um, and then once the fragments break apart, 
they, they'll get into slightly different orbits, but close enough that, that you can mm -hmm. tell that they're related. But they could come years and years apart from each other. And the only way you, that you can recognize that they are related to each other is by how close their, the, the, the orbit shape and, and location mm -hmm. is to each other. So those are interesting comets, the, yeah. the, the sun oh. grazers oh, yeah. in that regard. Um, anything else? Well, you want to add anything? Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah, no, a lot for a long this, I mean, time. The, yeah. the thing that I, I find really interesting is, is how well, in fact, we're able to get that family genealogy. Um, given the fact that there are, you know, these are small objects, and even things like asteroids, if they pass close enough by, uh, can impact their orbital parameters. And so, you know, little tweaks here and there every passage. Uh, and, you know, soon, soon uh, if you're a relatively short period comet, uh, soon enough you've, mm -hmm. you've changed the orbital parameters by quite a bit. So, you know, these, these right. comets that come every, you know, that, that come that are two, three, four, five years apart, but are thought to be daughters of the same uh, originator uh, that takes that takes right. a fair bit of calculation I mean it's classical dynamics but nevertheless it's uh, it, it, it's interesting yeah the problem the problem is is um, with with that what makes it hard to calculate these orbits is because comets are small enough and again the reason that they have the the tails to begin with is because of the um, the um, the 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 solar mm -hmm. pressure from the Sun that actually becomes it's not when it's just gravity, it's right. a lot easier to calculate right. these things. But when you ha add these uh -huh. other forces in, then the orbits can become chaotic and very difficult mm -hmm. to figure out um, m more than a few orbits in advance. And that's that's true of, yeah, even oh, of indeed. Halley's comet. Indeed, yep. So, uh, but but we should. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's fine. Okay. So, yeah. Um, next up, I think let's let's go to Charles and talk a little bit more about the composition of comets. Uh, what are they made of? What are the various components? Um, we've, we've used the word dirty snowball, uh, but I bet they're more than just snow. So uh, what, is it, what is it they're made of, and, and do they have an atmosphere? Okay. Um, all right, so when we talk about comets' physical makeup, uh, we focus on three parts. So we've got the nucleus, the coma, and the tail. Uh, and uh, for anyone who's interested in finding out some good, uh, you know, like popular level um, material on this, uh, NASA has a, uh, a nice informative website. And I mm -hmm. like some of the phrasing that they used uh, in, uh, in that website. Uh, so the nucleus of a comet, so yeah, that's like the, the solid core, uh, is yeah, a dirty snowball. And you, and, Tends to be a, a few kilometers across. Uh, NASA's phrasing, I like this. is It's a snowball the size of a small town. That's a big snowball. That is a big snowball. So uh, the the nucleuses, <laughs> nuclei, uh, are irregularly shaped. Uh, comets are not dense enough to go spherical. Uh, so when you, uh, if you track down uh, images that we have of uh, the nuclei of comets that we've seen, uh, they're you know they're lumpy. You know some of them look like uh, you know flying peanuts. Um, I'm looking at one that looks kind of like a big piece of broccoli. Um, now there's a really cool one, uh, comet. Or let's see, 
Where is it? Oh, uh, Comet, uh, let's see, TB145-2015. Um, looks like a skull. <laughs> Speaking of omens. So if any comet is going to... Yeah, if any comet is going to be an omen of doom, it's going to be the death comet. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, so the nucleus is... Uh, composed of ice, rock, and dust, uh, with the ice uh, containing frozen water, carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, methane, ammonia. Um, <coughs> recently, we found that there's also some organic chemicals in the, the nucleus, uh, including ethanol, hydrogen cyanide, uh, and this is the one that's breaking my brain, hydrocarbons and amino acids. Mm-hmm. So there could be something like uh, crude oil or a tar-like sludge or something like that. And what I haven't been able to find an answer to, and I really want to find out, is where did these hydrocarbons come from? Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're, if we're going to talk about, you know, oil-bearing uh, comets, well, I'm, so, so recently I found out that uh, it's uh, not true that uh, fossil fuels are made of dinosaurs. Uh, but Still, prehistoric plant and animal matter, uh, that's where we get our, our petroleum. So where did, where did it come from? Where are these hydrocarbons? Where does this uh, uh, petroleum-like sludge on mm. these comets come from? I, maybe we haven't figured it out yet. It was only a few years ago we actually found mm. out that it's there. Mm. So. Um, so, yes. Stay tuned, listeners, as science develops. Maybe we'll figure out where this came from. Um, and can we get rich mining <laughs> I'm sure it? sure someone will try. Oh, yes. <coughs> now, yeah, when the, when, so when the comet's orbit takes it closer to the sun, uh, the ice starts turning into a gas, uh, forming a thin atmosphere around the comet, uh, and the atmosphere around the comet is called a coma. Uh, the gases kick up a lot of the dust, and that becomes part of the coma. The, co- the coma get larger. Uh, the comet gets to the sun and can get up to you know hundreds of thousands of kilometers across. Uh, you can have uh, a coma uh, in some cases that is larger than the sun. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, when when we get this coma. Uh, Light and solar wind from the sun push against the coma, and that's what forms the tail. Uh, And yes, as was mentioned, comets have two tails, uh, one of dust, one of gas. The reason they have those is because the dust is heavier than the gas, uh, so the pressure on them pushes them in different directions due to the different weights. Uh, So that's where we get those. Now, uh, in 1996... A team of British, American, and German researchers observed the aforementioned Hayakutake uh, 1996b2 comet uh, was emitting X-rays, which is another thing we didn't know comets did. So I started to look into this, but quickly ended up out of my depth. So I'm going to hand this one over to somebody who actually knows something about <laughs> particle physics. Uh, Todd... Last time I had an x-ray, someone was looking at my teeth. So why are these comets so <laughs> interested in my dental work? Yeah, so um, it's it's a really interesting question because there's only a couple of types of processes that can give rise to x-rays. Um, 
the process by which an X-ray machine um, is is made to produce X-rays um, involves knocking out electrons from um, the inner orbitals of atoms. Uh, subsequently, uh, those holes being filled in by electrons further out in orbit around the same atom. So you can have something like tungsten or, or a, a, another heavy metal, um, which has uh, deeply bound electrons in the innermost regions of that atom that one can knock out by a, a, a fairly simple process of just directing an electron beam on uh, on the atom. And then the subsequent de-excitation of a very high, uh, highly orbiting uh, electron in the atom, which now has a hole in its one of its inner shells, will produce a single photon that is in the X-ray range. So if you want to make X-rays, you can either um, knock out inner shell electrons and have um, well-defined X-ray um, energies produced by by uh, subsequently filling in that hole, or the electron beam that you direct onto the heavy metal target um, can emit X-rays just by the slowing down, uh, the deceleration of the electron beam as it passes close to the nucleus. Um, these are called Bremsstrahlung X-rays. Uh, Bremsstrahlung is just a German word for, I don't know why we use those German words, um, um, for what we call breaking radiation. I mean, that's the literal translation of the German. And so electron Breaking, breaking as in a, a, Breaking as like you're breaking your car, yes. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, well, although That's there okay. are other ways to break your car as well. Um, uh, right. B-R-E-A-K. But uh, uh, anyway, so this yeah. uh, this deceleration process of, of electrons as they go by nuclei is, is uh, again, it, it produces a nice continuous spectrum of X-rays. And so those processes we know because we artificially create them, but there's little uh, way which we might imagine such things happening uh, in cometary atmospheres. Um, uh, and so, so a, a sort of a third way has to do with heating up of plasmas, which can uh, also uh, cause electrons to emit X-rays. And very recently, uh, as, uh, as recently as this past spring, uh, a paper was published in Nature Physics that um, that argues that, in fact, this is the process that's going on. So, it's, again, it's all interaction between the solar wind and um, emissions from the, the mm. comets, uh, from the comet's surface, which becomes, like uh, Charles said, it's, it's coma or it's atmosphere. Um, and it is, a, it is a plasma heating effect um, that, that is taking place. Mm. The interesting thing from the observations of Yakutuke and other, other comets is that the X-rays are all emitted on the sunward side. And so it's definitely got something to do with interaction between the, uh, the solar wind particles and the, the comet. And um, this recent paper um, seems to have a pretty good grasp on uh, and, and, and be able to reproduce the, the, the specter of observed, uh, observed x-rays. But um, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a, a definitely a very interesting question, um, certainly not expected at all. Um, x-ray production is usually um, uh, in in any kind of 
heavenly bodies is usually limited to stars, um, very, very hot objects. Um, Mm-hmm. And so when you know this quite, caused quite a sensation when when it was first announced that X-rays were uh, being observed from comets. So um, in the intervening years, it seems we've got finally some kind of answer. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I would never would have thought that that you would get X-rays from comets. Yeah. so that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, well, let's uh, move a little bit out of the realm, as it were, of science. And, uh, well, no, 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 you know what? I'm skipping a question, and it's a very important one. Uh, Dan, we've got missions to comets, in fact. I think we need to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, probes that we've sent there. So uh, what you got for us? Sure, I can talk a little bit about that. Um, So... uh, Ever since in the modern era, when we started figuring out what comets actually were and what they were doing, um, uh, we were interested in saying, oh, maybe we can send a space mission to actually get a closer look at these things. Uh, Because, as um, noted by Charles, um, what we're really seeing when we look at a comet in the sky is the outer, the atmosphere of the comet in the tail. So and the atmosphere, the coma, so to speak, of the, of the comet is, is a very diffuse, very large, but diffuse um, veneer or wrapping around the actual um, object that is responsible for the coma, which is the nucleus, which is, you know, minuscule in comparison. Like, again, on the order of a few kilometers in diameter. Um, whereas the uh, the coma can be like Charles is saying in some cases larger than the sun, which is you know um, on the order of uh, eight hundred thousand kilometers in diameter. So very very um, huge di- um, disparity. And in fact, um, we didn't really get a good close up look at the actual nucleus of a comet until um, one of the the first uh, flyby um, of uh, the uh, was it. Uh, Guy, I'm going to butcher these names here, but um, the uh, Giacobini Zimmer Giacobini oh, Zinner comet it was the first flyby um, that was in what 1980, um, and I my notes are failing me here. Where did I put the notes? It was in the <laughs> 80s, um, if I recall correctly. 80, yeah, maybe. Yeah, um, right, right. Um, 1985. Oh, okay. okay, yeah. Um, so that was the first flyby. I don't think there was actually any photos of the nucleus of that one, though. Um, I'm getting that mixed up. Aha, I am getting that mixed up with Halley's Comet. So Halley's Comet was the next one encountered by a spacecraft. Um, actually, it was encountered by, um, uh, let's see, four different spacecraft. Um, Vega, uh, actually five, actually. Vega 1 and Vega 2, and then a couple... Um, uh, was it Suisse and Sakigake, um, and then the Gyoto spacecraft, which was the one, all this was, of course, in 1986, um, when Halley's uh, returned to the inner solar system. Um, the, uh, the Gyoto spacecraft came within about 596 kilometers of the nucleus of Halley's comet and took the first direct image of a comet nucleus. And it was interesting because the comet, the Halley's Comet nucleus, we now know is shaped like a peanut. 
Um, not but like a uh, like what you would expect a uh, a sphere spherical type shape, but actually a peanut type shape. Um, in fact, several other um, missions that have been sent to comets since then have also shown that many of these comets have these sort of elongated dumbbell or peanut shape. Um, uh, example of that would be a comet uh, Borley, um, which was uh, imaged by the spacecraft Deep Space One in 2001, kind of elongated comet. Um, some of the other ones, uh, like Wild 2, Temple 1, look more, a uh, little bit more spheroidal. Um, Hartley 2 looks like a peanut. <laughs> um, that was encountered by Epoxy spacecraft in 2010. Um, and most recently, um, the uh, one, one of the more um, interesting um, comet encounters was, uh, and I'm going <laughs> to butcher this one's name too, this was in 2014, uh, was uh, Churyumov Gerasimenko. Good enough for me. Is that, <laughs> I, got that, I got that right. I, I okay. know less than, um, than you think I do about pronunciations here. <laughs> okay. So these, um, this was a vi this comet, also kind of dumbbell or peanut shape, um, was, was visited by the spacecraft Rosetta, um, which um, had a little lander called uh, uh, Philae. Is that right? Um, which uh, was, uh, was the first uh, lander um, uh, space probe to actually make a soft landing on a comet. It wasn't the first thing to actually land on a comet. That was um, Comet Temple 1 with deep impact, which sent a impactor vehicle, literally shot a, a mm -hmm. probe at the comet, make a, bit, make a crater, um, which, was, which was later imaged by um, another uh, spacecraft, mm -hmm. Stardust. So we've actually sent uh, several missions to comets, um, uh, U U.S. and Europe and, 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 uh, and uh, Japan. Uh, but the, the Philae lander was the first one to make a soft landing on the comet. Um, and ro again, Rosetta was its parent space um, uh, probe, which actually went into orbit around the comet. So that was the first, co first, uh, first uh, space probe to actually orbit the comet's nucleus. Um, and the, the, the lander was, was successful. Um, we were able to get images back and some data. Um, it, we lost contact with it at one point um, and then regained it sometime later, um, in which case, and they tried to send it more um, instructions to uh, do some more science, but then lost contact with it again. Later, it was uh, imaged directly by, by its parent spacecraft, Rosetta, um, on the surface of the comet. And they found out why it was so hard to communicate with it. It's because it managed to land itself inside mm -hmm. a crevasse um, on its side, so that it it was it wasn't able to get enough sunlight to power its instruments mm -hmm. um, properly, because it was in, in a, a partly in shade. But despite that, it, they, they still were able to get um, some some good uh, data from it. So um, yeah, I mean that there. We could talk again more about this, but uh, do you have anything, any more details you want no, to fill well, in I, there? Well, you know, I, re Todd? I remember Feli, you know, there were a, you know, a lots, of, a, a, Feli, lots of internet memes of, you know, this little buddy that we sent down, <laughs> to, you know, to, to, to do, to take these images. And, I, you know, despite the failures, I mean, the images are, are spectacular um, uh, of, you know, yeah. just this, the, 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 the 
you would you would it almost does look like you would expect it to if it's a dirty snowball, right? I mean, um, it, mm-hmm. it's kind of fluffy looking the 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 surface. Um, and uh, I, I have a personal connection of sorts to Deep Impact um, because um, the, same, the same good family friend of ours who um, uh, was at Cornell University uh, when, when, uh, when I was there in the early 2000s, um, the same, same one who worked on imaging for uh, New Horizons that we talked about on an earlier show, um, also was connected with this team who, who did the imaging for Deep, for deep Impact. Um, and so... Mm-hmm. Not to be confused with the, uh, the comic well, disaster movie uh, uh, of the uh, same uh, name. No. <laughs> no, no, no <laughs> uh, maybe there's a connection there. Um, yeah. Well, maybe. Yeah. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm speaking out of ignorance. Yes. I very well, well could never, have been. A never knows. But I, so, you know, it, it is. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, we we're in this era at NASA of the faster, smaller, cheaper um, kinds of missions, and you know, mm. sending a little probe to a comet um, is something we've managed to do a few times now, and and I think it's uh, it's been yeah. kind of fun just. Uh, uh, to 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 see what we can see, as it were. Yeah, I should mention that one one other mission. I think I briefly mentioned it, but that was the Stardust mm-hmm. mission. Um, that was sent to um, again uh, was that Comet um, yep. Temple One, um, and uh, uh, so that one was the Temple One was also. Um, oh, sorry, I'm sorry. It, it was sent yes. to bo- two mm-hmm. comets actually. The first one was Wild Two. Um, and that one was they actually returned a, a sample of of some of the uh, dust coming mm-hmm. off of the comet back to Earth. Um, so that was the first sample return mission mm-hmm. of its kind. Um, uh, and then uh, it was later sent on to uh, Comet Temple One, um, which was of the one that Todd was just talking about that was visited mm-hmm. by Deep Impact. Yeah. So uh, some of these some of these. Uh, um, spacecraft they're sent out um and then if they they often exceed their design specifications and can be used for Mm -hmm. other missions you know and um so that's great i like that mm -hmm. uh so we're we're we've actually learned a heck of a lot more about comets from these these up close missions because again like i said it's difficult to to study the the actual nucleus of the comet from remote um remote observations because of all the intervening dust mm-hmm. and gas. Um, but uh, we can also, in some cases, uh, um, use Earth-based radar uh, systems to image the, uh, the nuclei with radar, provided the, the, they come, at, they come right. close enough to right. the Earth. Yeah. Right. Uh, but, so, yes. So, that's, so that's yeah, I'm looking at the clock. Um, and I have an obligation that's got to bring me out of here. So, um, any any further thoughts, uh, further things that we've maybe missed? Um, bad sci-fi movies, for instance. Go ahead. Oh, well, uh, if you like cheese, uh, I'll mention the 1984 post-apocalyptic zombie movie *Night of the Comet*. <laughs> I've missed that one in my uh, search. Yeah, it, it, Oh, That's it, one fun. I missed too. Yeah. Well, one of those long period comets passes by Earth, and the gases wipe out most of the planet's population, uh, with survivors turning into violent, bloodthirsty rage zombies. 
Um, mm. And it, it also turns out that that same comet was responsible for the dinosaurs going extinct. I see. Uh, and one of the stars of that movie How is, uh, that is uh, Robert Beltran, known to Star Trek fans <laughs> as Commander Chakotay. Ah. Wow. I see. <laughs> is this okay. what got him the part? I mean, what? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that, that's a pretty good question. Mm. I'd have to, uh, I, I, we, we'd have to check. I don't know if uh, uh, Beltran was going out for this uh, part of uh, mm. Commander Chakotay, and he said, well, I, I'm really good at shooting r- Comet Rage zombies. <laughs> yeah, right. You're hired! <laughs> Damn, what you got? <laughs> well, so I mentioned briefly that um, in passing the, the Deep Impact movie, um, that was the one that I most remember growing up. Um, uh, I thought it was somewhat underrated. Yeah, it was cheesy at times. That, that was uh, starring um, uh, Frodo Baggins um, uh, was the protagonist right. uh, mm-hmm. in that movie. Um, uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> blanking on the actor's name. It's Frodo. The guy Frodo. who played Frodo you know. Baggins. Yeah, we'll just call him Frodo. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so that was that was a um, a disaster movie that was um, sort of tried at least to some degree to be relative, you know, scientifically realistic. I I mean, I don't know how well it succeeded, but the, the, the idea there was that there was a comet on collision course with earth. So they sent a mission up there to, to divert it. Um, and, uh, spoiler alert. Um, they were partially successful. They split the comet into two pieces one piece of which, both pieces which were on, still on collision course, but they were able to blow up the biggest piece mm-hmm. at the last minute with a nuclear bomb, uh, whereas the smaller piece managed to hit. And, and then it was all about the, the whole lead up to that in the aftermath. <laughs> you know, give, give, it a ch- give it a chance if you like disaster mm-hmm. movies, you haven't seen it. Um, again, it's not the best movie ever. I don't think no, it's, it's the worst. No, it's not bad. I mean. Either. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so I, I'm going to try to say this in my most calming and deep voice that I possibly can. It stars Morgan right. Freeman. Oh, yeah, Morgan Freeman. He's the president. The president. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right, and that's right, he mm-hmm. is. I forgot about that, yeah. And then who's that? Uh, oh, golly, the guy who's the commander of this, the mission. Um, Robert yep. Duvall. Thank you, Robert Duvall. Yeah, so it's got decent Good actors. Um, you know, the, um, the, the American yeah. Association. Yeah, you know, Leone's in it, Vanessa Redgrave. <laughs> Uh, John Favreau's in it. Yeah, so um, worth a yeah. worth a look. Uh, I, as far as um, some what about Armageddon? Thing, last thoughts here. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot. Well, Armageddon oh, wasn't was it? a comet. It was a oh, a meteor, meteor big comet, big old asteroid. Well, all right, I hadn't Dude. seen it. <laughs> I just know it came out at the same time, yeah. more or less. No. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, a similar sure similar plot, but this. The Armageddon's plot was way, way more <laughs> off the wall than, <laughs> yeah. yeah, than, um, but. Uh, but it had Michael Clark Duncan. Yeah. And that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. There's, uh, as far as other things, not movies per se, but, um, but interesting stuff about, uh, you, you mentioned something about life on Earth being seeded by comets. That's one of the theories that's out there is that, you know, Charles mentioned the, uh, the hydrocarbons, um, amino acids and stuff. There's some theories that suggest that some of these, these hydrocarbons um, came from comets and then helped to um, 
with the uh, origin of life on Earth, etc., or possibly even actual living organisms transported by comets from elsewhere in the galaxy. Um, uh, that's the idea known as panspermia. Um, so, the, you know, there's a lot of stuff we haven't touched on here. We didn't mention the, uh, the suspected comet or asteroid that was suspected of, uh, of uh, causing the extinction of the dinosaurs about 65 million years ago, the so-called uh, um, Paleocene, um, uh, what is it, Paleogene-Eocene extinction event. Um, and uh, I think I got one of those wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Uh, yeah, and so that was suspected to be a, a large comet or asteroid that actually hit the Earth. So one of the things we did not discuss that maybe could be fodder for the future is the idea of what, what kind of threat that comets actually oppose to Earth, as opposed to perceived threats that we kind of talked about a little bit with people freaking out from apparitions and thinking these comets, uh, you know, portended doom of some sort or another. It turns out that that they're not completely wrong about that. There's um, comets and could potentially um, uh, pose a threat to Earth by direct, uh, um, directly colliding, which could cause some ruin, at least ruin some people's days, if not even worse than that. And again, we that I think that was sort of brought to a head when we saw the Shoemaker-Levy 9 comet crash into Jupiter. It's like, okay, this really does happen. Now, Jupiter, granted, is a much bigger target. Um, so it gets hit a lot more often, but um, it um, next, you know, within the inner solar system, the Earth's the biggest target and and has been hit before, will be hit again. So it's something that that I know NASA takes seriously. Oh sure, yeah. Um, so it's it's one of those things that they do pose a threat as far as like um, uh, actual collisions with right. Earth. So. Yeah. yeah. On that uh, note. On this happy note. <laughs> yeah, yes. we should head for the exit. So, um, um, I, yeah. I, I hate to keep doing this, but uh, do we have a, a plan for next uh, next show, Dan? I think you're up. Oh. oh. Um, Might have been a good idea. Do to you talk think? About this before <laughs> yeah, maybe because I. Oh boy. This is our yeah, level of organization, a... listeners. This is how much we got our act together. Um. I don't have anything. I guess it'll just in be mind a surprise. Right yeah, that's all right. That's how we roll. And it will not be presaged. Yeah. By a comet. I don't think so. Oh, maybe. <laughs> depending, uh, but, but, depending on how long we. But take. I will try to work there, there, the word ominous. Yeah, there's a comet ominate. out there. Yeah. Right now, as we speak. There is. Okay. Vortanen. Yeah. Or Vertanen. There we go. Yep, All right. Well, let's yep. uh, let's close. So, uh, the Book of Nature podcast is a member podcast of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Our press liaison is Kristen Philippic. Uh, on behalf of Dan Dawson and Charles Hackney, uh, this has been Todd Pedler saying thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock. We're going to rock around the clock tonight. What's your bad ride song? Join me home. We'll have some fun.